Welcome to New Mansion Church. What you're about to hear is a message from our pastor, Dr. Jeff Mars Sr. To learn more about the church, visit newmansion.org. God bless and enjoy the message. This morning, if you would turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, once again. The 24th and 25th chapters of the book of Matthew, what we refer to as the Olivet Discourse. The longest response that we have to a question that was asked of our Lord. This triggered by a question in verse 3, and then we see the Lord's response beginning in verse 4, continuing through Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25. And, and we're looking at that as it relates to us, as it relates to the nation of Israel, and as it relates to the world in general. And that's the way that Jesus addresses his answer. And as we have begun to, to look at this, to, to dissect these words and to take them to heart, that's exactly what we see, that Jesus begins with a response of the end times concerning the nations of the world. And then he's going to move on from there to a more specific topic, which is the end times concerning Israel itself. And then the chapter ends with Jesus addressing the end times concerning you and me, the church. So much controversy about these words that are written in our Bible. So many different opinions, different viewpoints on Matthew 24 and 25, on the book of Revelation, on the writings of Daniel, on the words of Zechariah and Ezekiel. And as we read these things, that's exactly why we want to tie them together and look at them from a viewpoint that our Lord spoke. And I believe that we can, we can look at these things simply and we can follow the flow uh, as Jesus spoke them, and we can see what his heart was, what his desire was. As we've said before, when, the, when he spoke these words to the disciples, uh, specifically to four disciples, what we would call his inner circle of disciples, speaking these words to them, words of warning, words of encouragement, words to strengthen them, and at the same time to open their eyes, we know that the Lord does the very same thing for you and me. He, speak, he speaks words of encouragement to us. He speaks words of warning to us. You see, ultimately, this is, this is the thing. Jesus says that he has told us all things. We can choose to believe them or we can choose to disregard them and walk away from them. That's simply our choice. The world that we see today, in many, in many instances, chooses to disregard them, chooses to walk away from the words of the Lord. That, that is their choice. God has given us a choice to do that. But ultimately, the question is, where do we stand with Christ? Uh, no, we can't sit and we can't uh, quote the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, word by word, verse by verse. We can't do a lot of things like that. There are mysteries of the Bible that we will never be able to unravel, and if we did, we probably wouldn't agree on them. No two of us would agree on exactly what the Lord was saying and what he meant. But this we do know, that the Bible says there is no hope without Christ in our lives. He is the source, the supply, he is the beginning, and he is the end. As Jesus says in Revelation, he is the Alpha and he is the Omega. He's the A to Z of all things. And without him, there is no life. And with him, there is life. 
And no matter how much the world looks for solutions to the problems that it faces, they will never be found outside of Jesus Christ. And so we come to him and we place our lives in his hand and we surrender to him. And then we listen for what he speaks to us individually. We listen to what his spirit says to us. We know what his spirit said to the churches. We have that recorded for us. We know how his spirit spoke to the apostles and to the inner circle. We have those words for us. But yet he speaks to each one of us individually as well. And as faithful brothers and sisters, men and women of Christ, we have to be obedient to that. We've heard of the tragedy of Robin Williams this week. Our pastor addressed that in Sunday school this morning as well. Here's a man who seemingly was so funny, and yet he tragically takes his own life in depression. It's interesting that about three years ago, Robin Williams actually did a commercial against suicide for the prevention of suicide. He himself speaking those words that he didn't heed. He didn't take his own advice. His advice was, he said, solution is a, is a, permanent, a permanent thing that you do for a temporary problem that you face. In essence, he said, just don't do it. And our world is trying to live by that philosophy today. Just don't do it. Stay away from things that are bad and hold to things that are good. But that doesn't work, you see. It's not enough just to say, just don't do these things. Many times that's the advice that we give our children. Many times that's the advice that we give ourselves. We think that if we draw a skull and crossbones on certain things in our lives, that we can avoid them, we can stay away from them. Ultimately, you and I are powerless ourselves to face the problems that we have, the evil that is in this world. The anxiety and the worry and the depression and the fear that the world holds for us. The only thing that you and I can do is just run to Jesus. Just run to the Lord and embrace him. And he will strengthen us and he will uphold us. And by his mighty right hand, he will deliver us. If the world could just hear that, if the world could just realize that, well, that's where you and I come in, isn't it? That's where we are, to spread that word and to spread that news to as many as who will hear. Because this is serious business. And are we down to the wire? Well, the Bible says no man knows. But we see the things that are around us, Jesus says. We see the indicators. And the indicators tell us that the clock is very close to midnight, perhaps just a few ticks away, when the bridegroom comes for his church. Let's turn our attention this morning, Matthew chapter 24, as we will begin with verse 6 this morning. Jesus giving us his response, beginning in verse 4. And continuing on in verse 6, Jesus speaks these words. He says, And ye shall hear of wars 
and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And again, that simply means diverse places, all kinds of unexpected places. And then our Lord says in verse 8, He says, All these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. And that's, that's our thought for this morning. The birth pains of the tribulation. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, as we come into your presence again this day, exalting you and praising you and asking of you, Father, we ask you to be the Lord and Savior of our lives, of those lives that are yet to know you, of those who are lingering, those who are wavering, those who are wondering this day. Father, may your spirit move and bless, may it intercede in so many instances, so many needs here, among us, in our congregation, in our community, and throughout our world. Father, we know that you are doing a refining work. You're doing a work of gathering. You're doing a work of threshing. And Father, as you thresh this world in the days that are to come, Father, may it look simply to you and trust in you. We pray, Father, for your spirit to move and bless. We pray that we would not be a hindrance in any way, but we would simply allow you to do as you desire to do this day, this week, this month, this year, what time we have. May we be used for your glory, Father. May you use your children, your church. May we be those, Father, who are called by your name. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. The disciples are troubled. They ask Jesus these seemingly simple questions. They're troubled by the events that are around them. They're troubled by what Jesus said about the temple being destroyed. They're troubled by so many things that they can't conceive and can't know and can't understand. And so they ask Jesus for a little clarification. Seemingly innocent questions. And our Lord takes that opportunity to provide for them an understanding, an understanding that the end is not yet. The, the end of time is not yet. The end of, of this time, which they refer to as his coming. And as we discussed that several weeks ago, the Greek word being parousia, it simply means the time of your, the fullness of your coming. The time of the arrival of your coming. Now they've seen Christ upon the Mount of Transfiguration. They know that he was transfigured and that his glory shone before them. And so they have some idea what they're talking about when they talk about the fullness of your coming. It is a time when, when Christ was nothing like they expected and they understand from the scriptures, as do so many of the Jews, that that time will come, and they think that time is then, but Jesus is explaining to them, it's not now. He says, I'm going to be delivered up, crucified. I will rise from the dead, I will ascend to the Father, and there will be a period of time that passes. And you and I have experienced that, we have seen that. 
looking back, we can see 2,000 years of that. And so Jesus explained to them that there is a period of time. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says that we are to occupy until the Lord comes. We are to watch for his coming. Not just to wait for his coming, but we are to watch for his coming. We are to be busy about God's business. And the Bible says that that seeing that we see that the day and the hour is approaching, so much the more. But that's not what the Bible says will happen. It says that, that men and women will fall asleep in that day and time. That instead of looking for the return of Christ, they'll be busy about all the things of their own lives, their own business. They'll do the exact opposite of those things. And that's a lot like the world that we see today. And so we wonder when we read these things, how much longer? How much longer until our Lord calls his bride home? And that's what the Bible tells us. It tells us in 2 Thessalonians of these things. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians of these things that Christ will call his church home. And again, that word parousia, we, use that, we see that used in two contexts as we move through this chapter. We will see that referred to uh, as the time of the fullness of his coming, the fullness of the end. But there is also a time that the Bible says that Jesus appears in his glory to call his church home. And so we, we struggle with this as Christians, these concepts. The second coming of Christ, well, what about the rapture? Well... This is what the Bible says. It says that that Christ will come for his church, and then Christ will come with his church. The first is the rapture of the church. And then a, a, a section of time is unleashed that we see, this period of time called the tribulation. But the Bible simply stating this, that no man knows the day or the hour of his coming, not even Jesus himself. Why doesn't Jesus know? Well, I believe he chose not to know. Now, obviously, he knows now, seated by the right hand of the Father, but as he walked this earth, he chose not to know that day or time. But he said that time will come in a most unexpected way. And Christ will call his church home, and then seven years of tribulation will be unleashed upon this earth like has never been seen before. And that is what Jesus is describing. Before his parousia, before the fullness of his coming. When the Bible says, different than as he comes as a thief in the night, the fullness of his coming says, every eye shall see him, shall behold him, shall witness him. There will be absolutely no doubt when Christ comes with his church at the end of time, at the end of this world, at the end of this age, at the parousia, as it is called. And so that's what Jesus is explaining to them. And what he is telling them now is he's talking about what these times mean to the nations that are around them. And that's what the tribulation is. You see, the the tribulation is really given. This period of time, the tribulation, what's this all about? Why is this even there? This time when God pours out his wrath upon an unrepentant world. Well, the the first thing that we see is this, that that tribulation comes to shake up the nations. God wants to shake up the nations of the world in one last final attempt 
to sift out what is remaining of anything of value, anything precious. Now, when I was a kid, you sifted flour. I don't know that anybody does that anymore. There was a reason you sifted flour in those days. You wanted to sift out some things that you didn't want. And that's the idea that we see here. There is a sifting that takes place. There is a shaking up that's going to appear for all of the nations of the earth. And it says in his final appearance, they will mourn. They will mourn. And so the Lord wants to shake up all the nations of the world. Secondly, he wants to make up a nation, the nation of Israel. God still has a promise that's real for the nation of Israel. God is not through with the Jews, despite what some may say, despite replacement theology, which has been preached for the past hundred years or so. Replacement theology simply means this. Before the, the nation of Israel became a nation again, people would read verses concerning Israel and they would say, well, this is the church. This refers to the church. No, the church is the church. Israel is Israel. And that's the way it is in the Bible. God gave a promise to the nation of Israel. And that promise is binding. His covenant is unyielding. It is unfailing. It is eternal. It is everlasting. And he will see that through to completion. And so God's not finished with the nation of Israel. And he's going to gather them together. Just as he shakes up the nations of the earth, he's going to make up the kingdom of those who are the faithful, those who will come to him, those who will repent and seek him. There's still a promise that's there. But for you and I, the church, we are the bride, you see. We're, we're called the bride of Christ. The promise for us is that he will remove us from this wrath that is to come. And that's what the tribulation it is. It is the wrath of God that is poured out upon all of the nations of the earth. Now, the Bible says that you and I are not appointed to wrath. We are appointed to a seat in heaven with the bride, with the bridegroom, while all these events take place. I understand it is a lot to wrap your mind around to think of these things, these, these things that are yet to be, yet to be experienced uh, somewhere in the future, perhaps in the not-too-far future. But the signs that we see around us continuing on, the sign of the nation of Israel gathering together in one day in 1948, Israel becomes a nation once again. And we have to wonder, is that the point where the clock started ticking again? Why would the clock stop? Well, Daniel the prophet tells us this. He tells us of a period of time. It's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. And you can read about that for yourself in, in the short book of, of Daniel. He talks about 70 weeks that are appointed, specifically referring to the nation of Israel. And he said that seven weeks would be accomplished until the rebuilding of the temple, and then there would be a, a period of 42 weeks that would be accomplished until the coming of the Messiah. And we've talked about this before, that, that as we look at those calculations, 
from the very beginning of the rebuilding of temple, these 69 weeks, beginning in March 14th, the year 445 B.C., and we've come forward 69 years to the day, it brings us to the year 32, the date April 6th. The date that I believe, and many others do too, that Jesus stood upon the Mount of Olives. And he said, if you would realize this day, what this day means, then you would receive me as Messiah. But they didn't. They rejected him. And right then and there, as we have looked at Matthew 21, 22, and 23, we understand that judgment is proclaimed upon the house of Israel. The nation falls apart. A few years later, as Jesus told us at the beginning of this chapter, the temple was destroyed. Completely leveled. Taken apart. The nation of Israel was no more. It was banned. Two Jews could not be seen together in the streets. Anyone that spoke the word of God did so under the penalty of death. And hundreds and thousands were slaughtered. And the nation became known as Palestine. If that name sounds familiar to you when we talk about the Palestinians today. There are no Palestinians, you see. That is a name that's given to a people, but it's not a race of people, it's not a group of people. It's a name that's given. It was, the, it was more properly the name Philistine. That's what the Roman emperor decided to call the nation of Israel. What can I call it, he says, that will be the most reprehensible, most abhorrent thing? He says, I'll call it Philistine. I'll call it the very uh, name of the perpetual enemy of the Jews. And this will be called the land of Philistine, Palestine, as we say in our day and time, until the year 1948. And we read the, the accounts of Bible scholars in the 17th and 18th century, very learned men, but they don't know what we know today looking back. They couldn't conceive that a nation would come together once again and has been a nation for 60 plus years. And now in our day and time, Israel is reestablished in the land. It is a country once again. Jerusalem is its capital. The official language is Hebrew. How could this be? It is the work of God. And you see, there is still one week of Daniel's 70 weeks to be accomplished. The 70th week has not yet been, but soon will be. This seven-year period of time must still be accomplished before the end of the age and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the world. It is the time we know as the tribulation. So now you're all up to speed, and I'm sure you don't have any questions whatsoever. I'm sure everybody's clear on all of that. You've got your eschatology down, Pat, and you know where you are, you are and, and you know where you're going. But the question that we all have is, how does this relate to us? What does this mean to us? Okay, you're saying there will be this time of the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church, and then a period of tribulation that comes upon this earth. 
Well, our Lord is telling us this so we know how it relates to us as we go through that, and we'll continue to see that. But as we look at this passage that is given to us this morning, and I apologize for the long, long lead-in, but sometimes that's necessary in order to, to get from where you were to where you're going. What Jesus is saying is, he says, you will see these events come to pass. Now, last week we talked about the coming of the Antichrist. And that's what we see, that as Christ would loose uh, the first seal of this document that we see in Revelation 6, as he would loose this first seal, it would reveal this one to come forth. And that's what Jesus was saying in verse 4 of Matthew 24. He says there's going to be this one that comes forth. There's going to be a group of deceivers that come forth. Ultimately culminating in one of them that takes power, which is the Antichrist. The Bible referring to him by several different names. The deceiver. Referring to him as one who is inspired by Satan and driven by Satan and inhabited by Satan. The Bible referring to him as a great world leader, a guy that comes forth and is able to speak great and glorious and wonderful things. But ultimately, Revelation refers to him as a beast, a beast. You see, that's the way our world is today. Our world looks at, at things and they say these are good. We need to celebrate diversity. We need to celebrate alternate lifestyles. We need to celebrate Freedom of choice. And so we do in our country, and we look at that, and we, we do so in, in such a civilized manner on the surface. And to us, as a society, we say, this is a good thing. This is a liberating thing. This is a progressive thing. But that's not the way God sees it. When God looks at these things, he says, this is a beast. This is a monster. This is ugly and dark. This is sin at its very worst. And that's what we saw as we saw the unleashing of those things. And, and I know I've got to move along here, but as we, as we look at this verse, these verses that are given to us this morning, wars, rumors of wars, uh, speaking about nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Jesus says all these are the beginning of sorrows. And that's what the, our Lord is telling us. That is the key that we see there. It is the beginning of sorrows. Those words referring to the time of childbirth. There is a specific time of childbirth when the birth pains begin and they get worse and worse and worse. Now, you ladies are familiar with something called Braxton Hicks. False labor, we call it, Right? Perhaps you experienced some of that. I remember Cindy had that at about six months uh, with our first. And we wondered what in the world's going on here. And soon it was gone. It was gone for a period of time. But ultimately, it was going to come back again. There was no denying that. And I remember on July 6th, 1980, so very vividly, sitting at Cox North. And there in that place, listening to women wail around me. And as I sat in that room with Cindy, I had to wonder, what is ahead? 
what's coming next. And we heard some strange things that day and that night. I heard one lady begging and pleading. She says, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And another voice spoke to her very reassuring and said, you're not going to die. We're going to get you through this. It's going to be okay. And of course, she insisted that that was not the case. And then I heard some mumbling in the back about the the nurse talking to the doctor back before this thing called HIPAA was, was really in effect. And it turned out she was at about a four. She had a ways to go. I heard her say many, many more times, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Ultimately, she did deliver, I think, uh, uh, just before Jeff D. was born, and we were all so very glad that she did. (laughs) Birth pains. That's what Jesus is speaking of here. He's speaking of a time of intensity when it gets worse and worse and worse. And and our Lord says this very strange thing here. Uh, He says these are the beginning of sorrows, but, but something that he says at the beginning of this, he says, you hear the wars, the rumors of war. See that, you, see that you be not troubled, he says. How can the world not be troubled by these things? And what our Lord is saying here, he's saying, don't be panicked by these things. Don't be panicked. Don't, don't say, this is it, I'm going to die. Because he says, this is just the beginning. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. But ultimately for some... It will get better. For many of the others, it will not. And what our Lord is describing for us in these three verses that we have, if we turn to Revelation 6, we'll see the, uh, the, the same thing described to us there. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation 6, or you can choose just to listen along. Revelation 6, 3 Speaking of our Lord, it says, When he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. The first horse, as you recall, was white. It was an imitation of Christ, known as the Antichrist. This horse is red, it says. And power was given unto him that sat there, on to take peace from the earth that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And so war comes forth. What causes war? Usually politics causes war. And then it says, And when he opened the third seal, I heard a third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And there we see famine, pestilence coming forth. And again, famine isn't usually caused by a lack of food. It's caused by political things. It's caused by politics and by people starving their own people to death. Verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. 
And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked and beheld a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Now we've already seen here that the effects of famine, the effects of, uh, of these events as they begin to unfold. Death comes to the masses. War comes in its worst form. And it says a third of the t- entire population of the world is taken out by this eventually. And then because of famine and pestilence, another fourth of the world is taken out. Well, there's about 8 billion people on the face of the earth right now, give or take. That means that 4 billion people will die during this time. Less those Christians who have gone in the rapture, however many of them there may be. But here we see that in Daniel's prophecy of the Antichrist, predicting these things, we see Revelation telling us these things, and we see our Lord telling us of these things. And in the midst of all of that, he's telling them, he's saying, don't be troubled. Don't panic at this time. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse, he says, but don't panic. Daniel looks at these things and he sees a, a war upon the entire face of the world. Now, now, you and I look at this today and we say, well, what's the big deal? There's wars today. There's famines today. There's, there's pestilence. There's plagues today. There's Ebola virus in Africa right now. There's AIDS. There's still these things that we face in our day and time. But the Bible says that we have seen nothing compared to what is going to be unleashed upon this planet. And the word there is, you will continually hear of wars. It will be one war after another on all fronts, everyone against one another. And here in the midst of all of this, this one world leader is coming to the forefront. And that's what Jesus is preparing them for, this one, this Antichrist, who begins to gather a coalition and faces the the forces that are there. And and Daniel telling us that these forces from the north and the south come against him. And there's even those from the east that come as well. What are these forces? Well, we have China today around us. We have Russia who is looking to pick a fight anywhere that they can. We have unrest all over the continent of Africa. Nation rising up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Whether it's, it's recognized as one nation against another or whether it's one kingdom. Or whether it's just jihad or whether it's just the, the kingdom of ISIS themselves. Not necessarily a nation, but still a kingdom. A group of people coming together for a cause to fight one another. Rampant starvation all around. Pestilence and plagues like the world has never seen. And Jesus says in the midst of all of this, don't be troubled. Because all these things must come to pass. And ultimately they will. As things get worse 
and worse and worse. You see, there's no cause for panic when things aren't near as bad as what we think they are. Perhaps the real reason for panic in this day and time will be for those who missed out. Those who didn't know Christ. You see, the bottom line is this. For those who knew Christ, for those who were, who were safe and secure in the Lord, for those who were saved and surrendered their lives to Him, the Bible says they were taken out before any of this began. But for those who didn't know the Lord, now there is an endurance that takes place. There is a problem here. Enduring through the midst of all of this evil. And, and we understand from the scriptures this, that the Holy Spirit who has restrained the evil from this world in our day and time steps aside and it's no longer restrained. And evil is rampant on all sides. And death comes, and the Bible says, and hell follows. Now, why are we looking at these things? Why, why are we so involved in all of this this morning? Now, Pastor, are you just trying to, to scare us with these words? I'm just trying to inform you, as our Lord informs his disciples, that we know of these things. That these aren't fairy tales, these aren't stories. Promises of the Bible come to pass. The words of the Bible come to pass. And ultimately, these things will come to pass, too, at some point. God has provided for us a way of escape. For us who know him and who find comfort in that, for our friends and our relatives who don't know him, he is providing a means of escape if they will take hold of that. And so we are told to watch in these days and to prepare ourselves. Are we doing that? Are we watching? Are we trusting in the Lord? Are we spreading the good news of His Word? Knowing the terror that awaits this earth, Christ says, it doesn't have to be that way. I provided you a means of escape for these things. And his purpose is that escape for all of us. And I remind you, God is gracious and he is merciful and he is long-suffering and his love abounds with us and it is there for us. He loves us so much that he waits until the fullness of this time comes. He loves us so much that he removes us from the skirmish and we are celebrating in heaven while hell is unleashed upon the earth. And even those who are going through this tribulation, still he is trying to gather a remnant from them. And still he's going to make a way for his chosen ones, the nation of Israel. That's how much God loves us. But how much do we love him? How much are we committed to him? Stand with me if you would as we close our service this morning. A time like none other that this world has ever seen. The question being, are you ready for that time?
Are you prepared for those events? Do you have a way of escape? Are you saved? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Do you know without a doubt that if that time did come, if if the Lord caught His church away today, that you would be numbered in that number? And I've heard people say, well, I'll just take my chances. Well, I can tell you right offhand, your chances are one and two from the very start. And then there are those times we say, well, you know what? The Lord won't come soon. He won't come today. He won't come right now. The Bible says it is in a day and hour that we think not. You see, the fact that we don't think it can happen means it can happen. Are you ready for that time? Are you prepared for that time? May we be those who are working for the Lord. Gathering souls as he would lead us to. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Desiring, Father, that in in the weight, in the anguish of this time that is ahead, Lord, that you would help each of us to do our part, to speak a word for you, to be a witness for you, to be a light for you in this world of darkness. Father, give us the boldness and the strength Give us the courage to shine brightly for you. So much the more as we see the day approaching. Father, strengthen us by your hand. We cannot do it alone. Give us words to speak from your lips, from your heart, for we know not ourselves. Lead us in lives of peace and joy and holiness for you that the world may see and desire and that it may receive you as Lord and Savior. Father, we give you praise in all things in the name of Jesus. And all God's children said, Amen. May the Lord bless you this day. And may we walk in newness of life, knowing that Christ has made all things new before us and has made a way for us. Thank you for joining us at New Mansion Church Online. We would love to connect with you at newmansion.org. You can connect with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Marsh Sr. at pastorjeffmarsh.com. God bless, and we hope to see you again soon.